The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, Frontier in Space. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or TuneIn or your favorite podcast app or wherever you can get podcasts. Or watch us at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also be sure to hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. And another show on the StarQuest Network I am certain you'll enjoy is The Secrets of Middle Earth. And you can find that at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth or, again, wherever fine podcasts are found. So uh, the appropriately and kind of on the nose frontier in space, uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens to this one? This week we visit space, the final frontier. It's a couple of hundred years after the time of next gen, so we're in the 26th century. At this point, the Earth Empire is expanding through the galaxy along with the Draconian Empire, which has a treaty with Earth. But the treaty is in danger and war may soon begin because someone is using the Ogrons to stage uh, the mutual attacks, making it on both Draconians and the humans, making it look like the other empire is doing it. And so they're uh, pitting the two empires attack as if they're against each other, as if they're attacking each other's ships when they're really not. That someone is the master. And the third Doctor and Joe Grant stumble into all this mess. There's lots of going from place to place, getting captured, escaping, and getting recaptured. Eventually, the Doctor convinces first the Draconian and then the Earth officials that there is a plan to start a war between them. But the officials need proof to convince their populaces. So the Doctor, an Earth general, and a Draconian prince go to the planet of the Ogrons to get the proof. There, the Master reveals that he's been working for the Daleks, who want to start a war between the two empires so they can move in and rule the galaxy. Only the Master plans to betray them and rule it instead. To execute his plan, the Master has been using a device that makes you see what you fear most. This made the humans and the Draconians see each other instead of the Ogrons when the ship attacks occurred. But Joe gets the device, and the Doctor uses it to make the Master's Ogrons see what they fear most, the Daleks and a monster that's native to their planet. This lets the Earth General and the Draconian Prince escape to warn the galaxy and come back with a fleet, but in the scuffle, the Doctor is badly wounded by the Master. He and Joe get back aboard the TARDIS, and as they take off, the Doctor uses the TARDIS's telepathic circuits to send a message to the Time Lords. The end. All right. So, uh, overall impressions, Father Corey? Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed this one. This one's a pretty good one. It, you know, it's, it, except for instead of running around quarters, you have flying around space. Uh, there's, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, it, it, it's, it's six episodes and they're fairly, fairly well packed for classic who, uh, lots of locations we go to, lots of spaceships, obviously reusing the same sets as much as they could. Uh, but it's, it's, it's one of I've, I've always enjoyed. Uh, we get to meet the draconians for the first time. Um, we Only have suddenly time. Daleks at the end and. It's quite the episode. Yeah. How about you, Jimmy? Yeah, uh, it's enjoyable. Um, it's actually kind of the 
first six parts of a 12-part story because the one that that follows this, um, which focuses Planet more- Planet of the Daleks. Planet yeah. of the Daleks. It focuses more directly on the Daleks, and this is sort of a loose prequel to that sequel. And so it, there's kind of a 12-part story here, but it really falls into two six-parters. Um there are things I like about this. I, I like, and and my memory of it was fond before I rewatched it. Um, I, I like the Draconians. This is the only time they ever appear on screen, and I think they're due for a comeback. I'd love to see the Draconians again. Yeah. And the Ogrons, too. The Ogrons haven't been back, um, even though we've seen them before. But um, I, one of the things I like about it is the scope. I also like Roger Delgado's master a ton. Um, he is—he's charming and con- and considerate, but still untrustworthy. Um, and I like him better than like in the second Doctor story we just watched. You know, we had this charming supervillain of the Bond mode, Tobias Vaughn, mm-hmm. and and he is—he's—he's he's charming but slimy and and cold and the master at least Roger Delgado's master is charming but can be warm even though he's he's a bad guy you know he's still i mean he's genuinely con- he's he's concerned with people's comfort you know and he's concerned about the doctor he's concerned about joe yes he's going to kill the doctor someday and he knows that but but he wants the doctor to be comfortable in the meantime and yes. is willing to make deals with him, like offer him half of the galaxy and stuff. <laughs> so, so you know, the Draconians are a big boost. The scope of this, where we get to go to all these locations and see all these planets and all these ships and everything, it's, it's a story that doesn't feel confined. You know, it feel it's it's like we've got a really broad canvas here for this story. The Draconians are nice. I really like them. What I don't like about this is just how much of it is dealing with people who refuse to consider obvious mm-hmm. explanations. You know, the doctor's going, someone's yes. trying yeah. to start a war between you two, and nobody wants to listen to that. Mm-hmm. And it happens over and over again. It's like, guys, you ought to take this claim seriously. I mean, you don't have to believe it right off the bat, but you ought to investigate it. Right. Um, right. And Frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And and secondly, all of the getting captured and, es- and escaping and then getting recaptured almost immediately. I mean, sometimes right. they get, they escape, then they get captured the very next scene. Um, there's just, that's the equivalent of running through corridors in this. It's lots of getting passed around from one group to another. And that's that's clearly that and the irate refusing to consider what the doctor is saying are the two big writing time fillers that they're using to stretch this out to six episodes. <laughs> I think it would be a better story if they toned that down, if they toned down those two things, made it mm-hmm. made it shorter, maybe a four parter. And if they had more willingness to consider what the doctor is saying and well, let's start investigating and then there can be a problem with the investigation rather than just outright dismissing it. That was my biggest complaint. The one of the things you just said there was the amount of time we spent with people sitting in cells and talking mm-hmm. about being in a cell and then being transferred to another cell, and it was <laughs> it was just like 
I don't know. It felt like an episode of Prison Break. I mean, it was like yeah. it was just too much of that. And hey, Orange is the new Black Dom. <laughs> yeah, apparently <laughs> uh, there wasn't enough orange in this one. Uh, but yeah, that was that was my big complaint. Um, my I think the best part of this was. Roger Delgado, who, by the way, this was his final appearance yeah. on Doctor Who. He would die in a car accident in Turkey a few months later after he, this while filming something else. He was meant to come back, but yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with what you said about the master in this and in Roger Delgado's master in general. Later on, especially New Who, they decided to go with the crazy master, the over-the-top scene-chewing, which is can be fun. I mean, I like Michelle Gomez's Missy and... Sasha Dewan and John Sim, I mean, in, in their own ways, but it just, it's over the top. They decided to like, let's take him and make him larger than life and really yeah. big. And I like Roger Delgado's sort of down to earth master. And, and the intervening masters aren't, I mean, they're over the top in their own way. We have the decayed master mm. who's played by two different individuals and the way he's, he's not remotely like roger delgado he's meant to be roger delgado yeah you know but personality wise he's nothing like him and then we have the anthony ainley master who is over the top mustache twirling evil i was literally mm-hmm. thinking mustache twirling yeah yeah and not quite the like john sim master was great was uh, you know out of his mind yeah but 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 even like sasha dewan like his master was just like just evil for the sake of it he just relished being cruel and evil and and it I just, you don't get that from Roger Delgado he he's got his aims and he's amoral in in, mm-hmm. in many ways but he's not just like he's not chaotic cruel yeah chaotic he's, yeah yeah he's more uh lawful evil than chaotic mm-hmm. evil which is what the he's, other masters are he he's yeah. a little bit like Dr. Horrible you know the world is a mess and i just need to rule it <laughs> right right and he's he's untrustworthy but there's something you, you just you still like him and then you understand why the doctor the doctor is not pleased with him but he doesn't hate him he doesn't you know well, uh, uh, reject him as fully as he does the daleks and it, it's fun to see that he actually appreciates like when joe is able to one-up him you know oh twice yeah twice, yes. yeah it's like you 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 you've resisted my my hypnotism uh sound hypno sound thingy good job you know yeah this is right. wonder well well done by the way joe grant is awesome in this too yeah she is great in this yeah she she, she carries a bunch of the uh, at, at moments she carries the story like there's an there's an early scene where the doctor the master has the doctor and joe in a cell aboard a prison ship and he's got him on video monitor Mm-hmm. So they so they know they're constantly being monitored from the bridge, and he is on the bridge listening to them while reading War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so they've got to keep conversation going to mask what the doctor is doing. The doctor's using a, a metal, uh, not a file, but a kind of sharp metal cord to cut mm-hmm. through the bars of the cell. And so it starts with the doctor taking the heavy load of he's recounting what happened to him as the second doctor with his trial before the Time Lords leading to his exile to Earth. And mm-hmm. and that's where he met Joe Grant. And he says the exile was worth it just for that, which is a very kind thing to say. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he's sawed through the bars. And so now he's going to get out of the cell and go on a spacewalk 
to try to thwart the master's plan. But now Joe has to keep up the entire conversation by herself. And so she just starts droning on and on about telling the doctor about herself and then telling the doctor, you know, I think you're being unfair to the master. I mean, he's always he's do he does nice stuff for you. He offers you to cut you in and let you do good and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> And, uh, and, and she, so she's got to, she's got to distract the master from realizing the doctor's not there anymore. And she does it. She does great. Um, then when we finally get to the Ogron planet, the doctor, the master wants to set a trap for the doctor who's not there yet. And so his first thought is, I'm going to do my, I am the master and you must obey me hypnosis thing with Joe. And Joe just refuses. He's done this to her before and she refuses to let him hypnotize her. She starts <laughs> reciting nursery rhymes yeah. and, and blocking his ability. To, she's just talking over him as he's, I am the master and you will Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty yeah. had a great fall. <laughs> and she just completely blocks him and tells him, if you keep trying to hypnotize me, I'm going to keep saying nursery rhymes. And he gives up and gives her props. Well, I love that, too. She goes, once was quite enough. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> then he says, well, I'll have to do something else. And he gets out his fear-inducing device and turns it on, and it makes this sound. She starts seeing drashigs and mutants and, and you know, other creatures that she's faced alongside the doctor, the sea devils. And But she knows what the nature of this device is, and she refuses to to give into it and just saying this is not real it's just you this is not real it's just you this is not real it's just you and um and she thwarts his device too and he gives her props for that and then he really does find a way to trick her he puts her he puts her in jail knowing she's going to escape and um and plants a transmitter for her to use to contact the doctor which is what he wants her to do he wants a message from her to the doctor to lure the doctor here yeah joe has really grown in her mm-hmm. time you know mm-hmm. with the doctor and she's really grown into from being you know the the trainee unit agent to really being you know something of herself and i th- i really like what she's well, become and they even comment on that in this episode when she's doing the droning on and on, you know, to fool the master on the camera. She talks about how I was hired to just do you. Know, I thought I was hired to help you out. And I was really just being sent for tea and papers and all these kind of things. And mm-hmm. they kind of comment on that a little bit. Yeah. A little meta yeah. there. Uh, the device, the the fear device, it, at one point they say that it uses ultrasonics, which is there's, the, Jimmy, there's some um, truth in that ultrasonics mm-hmm. can cause people to. Go oh yeah, crazy. Yeah, in fact, uh, infrasound, uh, which is sound that's below the threshold of human hearing, will do um, set humans on edge. In fact, they they use it sometimes in horror movies. They'll mm-hmm. play super low frequency sounds when something scary is about to happen to set the audience on edge. And um, and there are ways to use sound to try to influence human emotions, not in this way that makes humans hallucinate. At least yeah. we haven't found a way to do that yet. But um, but in in principle, there's there's something to this. Mm. Uh, a lot of the story here feels very much of its time. It's a Cold mm-hmm. War story, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. You have the, these two great powers. Uh, they have an uneasy peace. They don't trust each other, which is the basis of 
why the fear device works because what does a human fear most a draconian what does a draconian fear most the humans you know what is an american fear most a soviet <laughs> you know that sort of yep. thing mm-hmm. and so they're it, it, it's sort of a commentary on the early 70s and where we were uh in in you know in the world uh, there, so I thought that was very interesting. You know, you had the Cold War, the Vietnam War, all the Middle East wars at the time, and you have then these false flag attacks designed to foment, uh, you know, to kind of ignite this Cold War into a hot war. And that's really, you know, that's a that's an interesting complex little bit of strategy that they built into this plot. Yeah, it's it it's clearly drawing on Cold War themes, but there's not so much a Cold War, at least until very recently. Mm-hmm. Between it's not like a long-standing Cold War, like between us and the Soviets, because they've had this peace treaty. They've been doing trade. They've had peace for decades. They did have a war twenty years ago, mm-hmm. um, which actually started in due to a misunderstanding, just like the Mimbari War in yep. Babylon Five, right? Where the Mimbari, as a show of straight, as a show of respect, approached us with gunports open, and we thought it was a prelude to an attack and attacked them. And the in this, the Draconians are sending a noble as a representative to Earth, and they send him on a warship, but the warship is unarmed, and we don't realize it's unarmed. We think it's a prelude to attack, and so we attacked first. Um, so I thought that was a kind of an interesting correspondence there between this story and Babylon 5. Mm. But then they after that war, they apparently had 20 years of peace and prosperity and trade until just now. Right, right, right. Uh, some of the there was some interesting uh, background, you know, of the of the era. The the, the president of the of Earth was um, watching a news broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Bureau of Population Controls talking about the oh, creation yeah. of new cities in the Arctic and the relaxation of population control policies for folks who volunteer to become residents of these new cities in the Arctic. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, wow! You're allowed to have up to two kids each. I'm going. Whoa! This is. <laughs> You guys have been playing with China's one-child policy, haven't you? That never ends well. Well, this is the <laughs> yeah. Malthusian era, right? The 70s, yeah. you know, with those theories. I was, was going to say, would the one-child policy even been in existence yet at this point? Because, again, this is early 70s. I don't know when China's yeah. policy was put in place, though. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either, but but never, never impose mandates on your population to have less than two children that never works well no. nope. china is a china is experiencing a profound demographic winter that is about to wreck their country as a result mm-hmm. yeah it, it is interesting, but i i, I referenced the um the malthusian theories there were mm-hmm. these theories in the 70s the that, population bomb paul ehrlich yep. right paul ehrlich yeah the, this idea that um the population would grow to a point where the earth could not provide enough resources to feed everyone uh, mm-hmm. which was was uh, proven false because uh, it didn't take into account uh technology getting better the technology of agriculture getting better uh but uh, it, i think it find it curious because you're a spacefaring yeah. culture that's colonizing planets go to other unlimited planets. resources yeah. <laughs> yeah i i like well i mean i could see like okay earth is overpopulated so we need to have some kind of population control measures here or you can immigrate to another planet. Right. You know. Right. Um, I thought the role that news broadcasts played in this was interesting because – now, we don't really get this on Draconia, but we do get it on Earth where we see the um, 
how the leaders may know things. The, the president of Earth and her general are the two leaders we're focused on here on Earth. And um, and he's more warlike than she is, but she's more reasonable and methodical and open-minded. Um, but she's constantly watching her TV, which is a big wall-sized TV. You know, she's one of one mm-hmm. of the walls of her office is a television, which is nice. And um, and she is watching these news broadcasts and she's hearing these reports of there are riots all over the planet regarding what she's doing or not doing with the draconians. She's kind of in a in a John Kennedy situation of they're right. wanting harsh action from her, but she's not doing it. And and she's being perceived as a weak leader. And so I like that, you know, we get this sense of social unrest on earth and people can protest and this is something that government leaders have to take into account. Um, And we also see representatives of people uh, of different opposing groups Mm -hmm. on the news broadcast. Like at one point, uh, as thing, as the drama has really ramped up, we cut to some demagogue who's like, I got the impression he's like a world senator or something from the southern United States, and mm-hmm. he's really ranting about we need action against the draconians now. And and it was neat to see her having to, in light of what she knows as a leader, which is based on what the doctor's been telling her, she's got to figure out a way to sell this to her populace because she's not a dictator. She can't just give orders and kill anyone who disagrees you know she can be dethroned she can be recalled you know recalled from office impeached if she doesn't do what the populace demands and we're we're given the same impression for the draconian empire that they've got to sat their leaders have to satisfy their populace too Mm -hmm. which is what motivates the mission to the ogron homeworld you know one thing i like too is you know you talked about in your your summary how how there's people who are you know they were um or in your impression of this episode that there are people who they they just would not change they were just mm-hmm. stuck in their mm-hmm. their position it wasn't the leader it was their advisor yeah both leaders right. both the the emperor yeah. the draconians and the president of earth were open to the evidence that was presented by the doctor but they realized too that we can't you know we can't do this without more evidence and I, I like that where, you know, for example, the the doctor and the prince of the Draconia are standing in the president's office and he's like, well, you must tell your people to stop, right? You basically stop writing and believe them. And it's like, and doctor turns to him, would your people do that? Mm-hmm. And he's right. just kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say anything after that. There, right. There's another great bit where they, they, when they finally get to Draconia um, and the doctors told Joe that he helped him out like 500 years ago or something on Draconia. Mm-hmm. Um and they get to Draconia, and the doctor is being escorted in to see the emperor. And he 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 says, you know, and we've already seen the the prince get slapped down for not addressing his father in the proper way as emperor. So we've seen the correct because they're in public, you know, they're they're not mm-hmm. in private. They're 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 in public. He's doing court functions here. So the son, even though he's a son, he needs to follow proper protocol and give the correct greeting to the emperor. And so we've seen the correct greeting for the emperor. 
And then the doctor comes in, starts to give the correct greeting, and the son is like, this is an insult. No one but a draconian noble may give that greeting to the emperor. And the doctor says, ah, but I am a draconian noble. I was here 500 (laughs) years ago, and I was made one by the 15th emperor. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That, yeah, that was very nice, very nice moment. And, you know, I agree with you. The Draconians are an interesting people with, that would be interesting to bring back because they're not villains. No. But they're but they're an independent mm-hmm. sort of uh, polity. They're an independent, you know, set of characters that could be interesting that are a bit of a foil to the humans. And I, I, I like that. Yeah. What a... So I, in thinking about – so this is the only time we've ever seen the Draconians on screen, although they do appear in spinoff media. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, I believe, the last time we see the Ogrons, although we've seen the Ogrons at least a couple times before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think both of those species would, would be well revisited in New Who, but there are mm-hmm. a problem with both of them um, because of how woke the current showrunners of Doctor Who are. In the case of the Ogrons, the the character makeup portrays the Ogrons so they, they look kind of ape-like. And they're not super smart. They are capable of using technology but not inventing it for themselves. Right. Um, but they look kind of ape-like, and they've got brown hair and brown beards, but their skin is jet black. And so, so there would be if they brought them back, there would be a concern about is this some kind of negative statement of pers- about persons of African descent, right? Mm. Which, which it it wasn't at the time. People wouldn't read them that way. They don't look like African humans. They 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 just look they they look kind of ape like, and like a lot of apes, like gorillas, they've got dark 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 skin but that doesn't it darker than human skin mm-hmm. um but there would be concerns today that's addressable you just change them to have some middle brown light brown tone and no one's going to care um so you can you can address that the problem with the draconians though is they have this royal courtly culture that is and 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 there are concerns about class in Britain and so forth. But more importantly, they don't allow women to speak in the presence of the Emperor. And and they do let Joe and the Emperor, even though the prince is objecting, the, the Emperor points out Earth Woman has a good point here. Let her talk. <laughs> and um and so and, and then later there's a scene where Joe is with a draconian guard who's guarding her and says like women's lib needs to come to draconia. And so they actually addressed that here in 1972 or 73 when this was made. Uh, 1973 I guess. Um and if you handled it with light nuance like that where you know the character made a little pushback like Joe did it would be fine, but if it would go south, if it's like we've got to bring the the draconians back so we can have a big feminist statement episode where mm. we overturn their male chauvinist pigism and mm. just make major changes in their culture, it's like okay, no, that's not what's interesting about the draconians. Just let we don't have to turn everything into a big political statement. You can accept other people that, ha- and as a time traveler, if you're going to be a successful time traveler, you have to accept that other people don't have your values, and you're not gonna you're not gonna just march in and lecture them or change them. Well, and again, they even call that out in the episode where when Joe starts 
talking, the emperor's like, no, we must respect our, our guests' culture. Our guests' culture. Yes, very good point. And yeah. and and so we can we could have interaction with draconians and other races that don't have our values, provided we respect each other. That's what we should be going for, not moral lecturing and societal mm-hmm. change. Well, you know, and I was just thinking if there's a sane showrunner and sane writers when they brought back the draconians, uh, they could have basically a line or the doctor says, well, I thought women weren't allowed to speak in the presence of the emperor. Oh, your your companion, Joe Grant, convinced us otherwise. Yeah. And that would be it. That would, yeah. be, that would be another good way of handling it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It would be, that would be good. It should just um, be a minor thing that mm-hmm. shouldn't mar an otherwise interesting race. Right. Just like change it, move on. That's all. Yeah. Just change it, yeah. move on. <laughs> but don't um, take Avaris out of his wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Gen- uh, General Williams. This is the president's uh, chief aide, the only other government official we really see in. She's like oh, chief, chief of staff of the military, basically. Yeah. yeah. He is a jerk. He's just he, a closed minded jerk. Through most of it. He gets better at the end. Right. He's pretty stereotypical in the beginning. Um, and even to the point, he's very insolent even to the president. I mean, he should be fired. <laughs> he should. And, the draconian prince points that out to the president. Your chief, your general is is very insolent. Yeah. And at one point, he points out that if she if she continues the way she is, she could expect a coup or of some sort. And she calls him out. Are you threatening me with a coup? And he says, No, no. I'm. I. He kind of walks back his insolence to that point to say, I am your friend, and I'm telling you. This is the political consequences yep. of your continued, and it's like that's a kind of the turning point for him. Mm-hmm. Although later on he makes a major turning point when he's confronted by the Draconian Prince uh, with his actions that actually right. caused the last war, and he really that's yeah. where he really turns. Yeah, that's when he gets when the Draconian Prince explains you caused that war unnecessarily because you didn't read us right. And all those people died because of your mistake. Mm. That's when he really starts to become a, a much better and more interesting character. Yeah, Imme- immediately, you know, formal apology and just, yeah, just yeah, just like I screwed up. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's really great when he makes instantly makes an apology for his actions and realizes mm-hmm. his mistake. Also, I like how later. So when they're on the when they're on the way to the Ogron planet, they get intercepted by some draconian ships. And since they're in an Earth ship, they think they're hostile and they start shooting at them and it does some damage, which the doctor has to go uh, extravehicular to fix. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so they're, the ships are bearing down on them again. They're going to fire again and the doctor's under time pressure to get it fixed. And he does. And I thought, okay, if this is, a, if, if this is badly written – they could juice the drama here by having the general give the order, who's in charge of the ship, mm-hmm. by having the general give the order, you know, maximum thrust while the doctor is still outside the ship. And that mm-hmm. would strand the doctor and, and let us eat up some more time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd already done something like that earlier when the doctor had another spacewalk on the master ship. The master made a sudden course correction. Which did strand the doctor and also created a moment for Joe where she's terrified the doctor has died, you know, that Mm -hmm. he's been Mm -hmm. left behind in space. The doctor used air from his air tank to propel himself back to the master's ship. And so that was okay. My only criticism of that is we didn't know what the doctor's mission was. 
until right at the end on this EVA. Turns out he was trying to get to the flight deck. Um, they, it would have been better if they had told us what he's trying to do up front. Um, but, uh, I thought later, okay, are they going to make, is, is the general going to strand the doctor again? Is he going to do the, the cheap dramatic maximum thrust now? And, but the doctor is still outside. I don't care. Go. And he didn't. He I mean, waited until the doctor got back in the ship, and it's like, oh, thank you. I'm so glad we that you were a reasonable character here <laughs> and that we didn't have to uh, ju- juice the drama in this way and repeat a stranding spacewalk sequence or have a big argument. Well, we weren't back at the, the cliffhanger point yet, so. Yeah. <laughs> so. One of the we talked about earlier about how they kind of there were things that we felt like were padding out this story, this six episode story. For me, a big one of those was the whole moon prison yeah. subplot. Yeah, I, I I felt like what was the point of all that? I mean, it just it was sort of like this huge diversion. You have political prisoners, and suddenly the Earth president doesn't seem so nice anymore because she's apparently uh, imprisoning you know uh, political opponents on the you know for life terms on the moon and with no without is, trial without trial yeah. she yeah. is or the military is or whoever it is but yeah. it, i think i think it was to show i mean other than like you said padding to show that there were people on earth who were still trying to get peace between the two races keep peace between the two races but it yeah it was it was pretty much padding for whatever reason yeah its primary function was padding cuz it it basically kills an episode Mm. Um, so what happens is, is the doctor has been, because of he's, he was actually kidnapped by the draconians and taken to their embassy, but which was super stupid. Yeah. Um, because it, as the doctor points out to the draconians, now they're going to be convinced I'm an agent of yours, Mm -hmm. which they then were. And so the, um, the president sentences the doctor to the lunar penal colony, Using her powers under the emergency, using her emergency, her, her abilities under the Emergency Powers Act. So there's some kind of emergency. She has emergency powers. She can detain, she can imprison people without a trial. She's doing that to the doctor. She sends him to the moon. There he meets members of a political underground who are political prisoners. In fact, it turns out that's what the moon prison is principally meant for is it's a way to dispose of your political prisoners and so this is so even though its primary purpose is padding its secondary purpose is to comment on how there were political prisoners that were on public consciousness in different countries in the 1970s and they would take their politically inexpedient people put them in prison and here it's members of the peace movement and this was a concern about the peace movement that we were having on earth Mm -hmm. in just the few years previously you know um and um and so it's meant to comment on all that and the doctor gets to meet members of the peace movement and so forth but then as soon as the master shows up and claims custody of him he's pretending to be a a, a prison official from Sirius mm-hmm. 4 and he's got warrants for the doctor and and uh and joe uh, he shows up takes custody of the doctor we never hear about the peace movement or the lunar colony again no. <laughs> right right although it was yeah, fun yeah, to totally see the doctor happened. throw the peace sign as he's walking yeah. out you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the by by the way, one of the things I like about this is um, so at the begin we get TARDIS separation pretty early on because mm-hmm. the Doctor and Joe have 
almost crashed into the spaceship that we start with, but then the doctor manages to materialize the TARDIS on the spaceship, which is then the subject of an Ogron attack. And all the humans, including Joe, are seeing wrong stuff. They're they're thinking the draconians are attacking them. The doctor is apparently immune to -hmm. this, but everybody else is seeing the wrong stuff. And this is what lets the doctor understand the nature of the plot so he can later explain it to the humans and the draconians. But um, but when the Ogrons uh, ransack this ship, it's carrying a, a shipment of, of grain. They take all the grain, they take all of its cargo, and they take the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. So we don't know who the Ogrons are working for at this point, but it's going to turn out they're working for the Master. And so the Master has this shipment of grain come back and the Doctor's TARDIS. Yeah. So yeah. that's what alerts the master to the doctor being in the situation. Now, we don't see any of that. Um, but he then sends the Ogrons to Earth to get the doctor and Joe out of prison. And they're using their fear device. So the humans think they're being attacked by the draconians, that it's a ground assault by draconians when it's really Ogrons. Mm-hmm. And then they're almost, they're recaptured almost immediately. So the master's attempt to rescue Joe and the doctor by the Ogrons failed. So then he comes up with, I'm going to steal a prison ship and have a have fake warrants mm-hmm. for the Doctor and Joe with this list of crimes they've allegedly committed on Sirius 4. And that's what allows him to come pick him up. And I like when uh, he picks up Joe on Earth first, and then he has to go to the moon to get the Doctor. But when he's picking up Joe in her cell... Um, you know, she uh, she says, why are you doing this? And he says, how could I leave two such dear friends in such a dire state? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and that's what's interesting is the doctor, the, I'm sorry, the master doesn't show up till halfway through this story. I mean, the mm-hmm. villain, the true villain doesn't doesn't really show up till halfway through, uh, which is interesting. And uh, Well, the Daleks don't even show up until episode six. Right, yeah. right. Which is really, they're, I mean, they're sort of the villains in this one, but they're not really the well, villains and, until and they, the they next kind one. Of, they kind of imply that the Daleks are involved because they, they you know, they say that, you know, the Ogron, you know, the Ogrons show up and the doctor's like, well, last time we saw the Ogrons, they were working for the Daleks, but I don't think they're involved now, which of course right. they were. Of course they were. <laughs> and then the master mentions that his employers yeah. want something. So he's right. working for someone as well. And of course, again, at the very end, it's revealed. Suddenly it's the Daleks. Suddenly. Um, uh, somehow they survived. So the, uh, I like when the master confronts the the governor of the prison in, mm-hmm. on the moon who, uh, who won't oh, release yeah. the doctor because mm-hmm. he he smells out this plot to kill the doctor and the old man who's the leader of this peace movement because it's what he would have done like he, he yeah. like he knows that you're behind this because I, if I if it were me I'd be doing the same thing so you know I, I know what you're doing yeah <laughs> only he does he never he he never breaks kayfabe. You know, right. he's 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 still pretending to be this prison commissioner from Sirius Four, and so everything he says is consistent with what a serious a commissioner from Sirius Four might say. He never directly threatens the prison warden, mm-hmm. but yep. he implies that if you don't give me custody of the doctor, like my warrant says I should have. There could be an investigation here that would result in some very serious questions being asked about <laughs> yeah. some of the things that have been going on in this prison lately. Are you sure you don't want to give me the doctor? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what's so great about the Delgado doctor or master is he he does not – at this point, he doesn't do the I am the master. You will obey me. You will release the doctor mm-hmm. to me. 
Right. He right. he goes right into the smooth, oh, I'm so reasonable, and oh, by the way, we really don't want this to get out, do we? Mm-hmm. I mean, the alien master would just shrink him into a tiny doll, and, yeah. you know, yeah. you know <laughs> or whatever. So Yeah, yes. that's something else. Roger Delgado doesn't shrink anybody in this episode. No. In this story. No. Um, a couple other things that, I, that stand out to me. Um, do, the doctor is getting mind probed, and earlier he talked about the the mind probe uh, he'd been subjected to a mind probe before and it did nothing to him and it would it, it broke it basically and he so repeatedly broke it and they ran out of mind probes <laughs> right yeah. and so general williams is running him through a mind probe and it's so funny because the operator of the mind probe keeps telling the general he's Look, telling, he's the, telling truth. the truth and he just <laughs> yeah. he's not using the mind probe to get the truth he's using the mind probe to confirm his suspicions and when it doesn't match his suspicions he rejects the results and it's like yes this is the problem with the lie detectors <laughs> uh so uh that, i thought that was interesting um, I, I did i did laugh where when they showed the footage of the the doctor and joe on, on the, the ship they first landed on they showed it the doctor's experience of what happened third person they basically reused the footage from the beginning oh right yeah so when the doctor got shot got stunned they showed it from the third person not from the doctor's view yeah, right, right. He, he sees, uh, yeah, he sees everything in the third person. A uh, couple other things, just like the design of the episode. Uh, lots of 70s brutalist architecture standing in for the future, as was mm-hmm. typical uh, of the time. Oh, I'm, gl- I'm so glad we haven't, <laughs> we've moved away from that as the future. Shall was, we? These were some of the latest, greatest of British uh, housing oh. development at the time. Yeah. Although um, some of the, the most recent Star Wars shows, like Andor, have depicted the Ugh, of the empire as using some of these structures so like some of these ugh, awful dehuman dehumanizing well, and, uh, structures that, of course that's a different when you're looking at something like Andor, they're depicting the, the empire that way because they're showing how brutal yeah and inhuman <laughs> the yeah. empire is right this is just it's the future so everything is blah <laughs> so then um the other thing i wanted to point out from a design the the ridiculous Earth soldier uniforms, the padded shoulders, oh, yeah. this, and the Leia bun helmet or whatever. Oh man, it was. I felt I felt secondary embarrassment for them. Well, oh, it looked man. like they had they, gears running down their back. Yes, yeah. they looked like some kind of plush toy or something. <laughs> it was it was silly looking. Um, then at one point on the Ogron planet, as the Doctor is leading the Draconian combined Draconian Earth. Um, a group of soldiers through a, a slot canyon or something, a, a quarry. Um, you have the the doctor, uh, the master appear on a cliff talking to the doctor, and I'm like, shades of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it just feels <laughs> like Belloc, and he's calling, you know, with the with the the the, uh, the rocket launcher. Uh, just felt very similar to that uh, to me. Um, so. Uh, I guess that's all the notes I have on this one. Um, oh, there's an early t- moment. I wanted like a, a, a good quote from Joe very early on first or second episode. Joe says to the doctor, Oh, well that's simple then. I mean, all we have to do is find out what's going on. Who's behind the Ogrons where they've taken the TARDIS, go and get it back. And then we can all go home. Right. And the doctor kind of gives look like, yep, simple. As easy as that. huh? As easy as that. Uh, I thought that was good. Uh, how about you, Father Corey? Any other notes on this one? Just a couple of small, kind of silly things. Uh, when they're on the when the doctor's on the moon planet, they use sippy cups for the food. <laughs> mm-hmm. Literally, yep. the, if you remember the old school plastic sippy cups from the time, because those were 
high for, tech back then. For, for children, yeah. For yeah, small for children. children. Yep. Um, and then when they take off from the moon, they literally use the NASA moon yeah. footage, yeah. which was cool. Of, of, the, of the, one of the Apollo capsules flying yep. over the lunar surface. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Which yep, I thought that was, that was kind of a cool touch to actually. Mm. But of course, you know, I, for those who don't know, NASA footage is, I, I can't remember if it's, technically public domain mm-hmm. or if at least it's usable by the public it's, i believe it was released into the public domain all so government that, works yeah. like that are public are, are accessible it's not technically public domain in this in, in a legal sense but all government works uh of that are available to the public so that that's kind of for free they don't have to for pay free. for it so that, yeah. that that's a good way to it saves on their cg budget <laughs> yes the non-existent cg budget yeah how about you, Jimmy? Any further notes? A few little things. Um, so at one point when the doctor and Joe were imprisoned on Earth, one of their many imprisonments in this, um, the doctor has a sonic screwdriver and Joe, you know, wants him to try to help him escape. And so he gets the sonic screwdriver. He looks at the lock and says, oh, yeah, this is a fairly standard lock. Very simple, kind of old fashioned, really. And then he goes to use the sonic and it sets off an alarm and doesn't unlock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we'll just sit here for the time being, shall we? <laughs> um, uh, when he first sees the president of Earth, she, uh, she wants to know who is employing the doctor. And he says, I've never been employed by anyone. And I'm going, dude, you're unit science advisor. <laughs> you were, yeah. <laughs> you're currently employed. Yes. But of course, he means by anyone that you would know about. Right. Um, when the master shows up to, uh, to, to free Joe to take her into custody from the earth prison um he comes in and she says what are you doing here and he says well to coin a phrase i've i've come to take you away from all this <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a was a big romantic line back in yep. the 70s you know my, my prince is going to come and take me away from all this and stuff yep. um when the uh dealing talking about the uh disparity between what the leaders know and what they're able to get the public to go along with. There is a moment where the draconian prince is warning his father about, you know, emperors have, have, you know, like the house of lords or whatever doesn't approve of what you're planning to do. And emperors have been deposed before. And the emperor is very stoic about it. And he says, an emperor who does not rule deposes himself, mm-hmm. which is a, an interesting philosophy and an interesting line. and also governmental nonsense because <laughs> you you do have to make compromises as yes. as as a successful leader um then uh and finally uh there's this phrase that's part of the draconian nobles hail and farewell greeting where you uh, when you're approaching or you're leaving the emperor you say my life at your command mm-hmm. and so we see the prince doing this with his father and we see the doctor do it with the with with the draconian emperor mm-hmm. but then back on earth once we've got the draconians and the humans on the same side and they're going to mount this joint mission to the ogron home world um as the general and the prince are leaving the prince you know and you raise your hand as you say my life at your command um the, the as the prince is leaving he does this to the earth president my mm-hmm. life at your command it's like mm-hmm. wow new props from yeah. <laughs> uh, from the prince, and then at the very end of the episode of episode six, where where the the doctor is has has you know created an opening for the general and the prince to leave, you know the general 
leaves and the prince follows and to the doctor the prince goes my life at your command and it's like wow mm-hmm. respect all round <laughs> there is one last note i wanted to bring up because uh, it's a, such a minor thing but it's, it's a curious point and i was and i and I'm, i would love to know why but at one point joe has a costume change which the doctor mm-hmm. calls out mm-hmm. and it's such a minor thing and i'm just curious it's- why i was kept waiting for a reason for it and no reason ever came out and it's supposed to be like a prison smock, basically. Oh, yeah. We also get to see the doctor in these prison pajamas with yeah. little weird shoes. But he gets his clothes back, and he doesn't get the p- prison pajamas at the same time she gets the thing. So, I don't know. It's, it's this. I, I just feel like there's like a behind this must be a behind-the-scenes tidbit about I wonder why. if the outfit she was wearing, which was jeans and a, a shirt, and, but yeah. it was in, in boots. But I wonder if it was a little more impractical for the later crawling yeah. through the quarry scene <laughs> maybe yeah just i was curious about it that's all it, it could also I, for, I didn't take note of it but it could be they're setting up a more enduring costume change for future episodes and they didn't want it to leave to leave it completely unremarked oh yeah that's yeah, possible it's possible all right so that's uh everything we have on frontier in space and uh, as we go we'd like to take oh. a moment oh actually one other thing okay. um when the doc at in the doctor's final confrontation with the ogrons in this where he's using the fear device on them mm-hmm. he makes them well they have this weird monster that lives on their planet that it looks like a giant liver with <laughs> a, with a couple of and Antennas growing out of eyes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and at one point they see that and they run away from that. Um, but also when they're locked up and he wants the Ogrons to let him out of the cage, um, he uses the fear device and the Daleks see a, uh, the Ogrons see a Dalek, um, which is, and the doctor makes an adjustment, he says, which mm-hmm. presumably allows him to make them think he's a Dalek. But we then get John Pertwee's voice. With electronic oh, right. with electronic Dalek mm. effects over it, but we can hear it's it is John Pertwee's voice electronically filtered saying, "Open the gate, or I will exterminate you." <laughs> <laughs> it's just great to hear the Doctor's voice doing that. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Mark F, Chuck C, Chris B, Sandra S, and Stephen R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Zyman Yannick, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Frontier in Space? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com, the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can also leave a comment on YouTube where you can watch the Secrets of Doctor Who in full video at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Androids of Tara. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Can I have an android watch that one in my place? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I guess I can can look forward to that one, I guess. (laughs) Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember... Stop pacing up and down like a perishing panda. (laughs) ¶¶